Well, good morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church this morning. I hope you got your Bibles with you and the sermon notes. If not, there's some on the table back here and over here. Um, we've been working through the book of James for some time. We're, we're right at the end of it at, in chapters 5. We're going to be looking at verses 7 to 12 this morning, talking about faith and patient suffering. And so as you find your place, just let me mention a couple things to you. We did a serve card Sunday last week. If you didn't get a chance to turn those cards in, please do that. Um, that'll help us. Um, also, in case I forget to mention it as the sermon unfolds, um, we're going to be talking ab about some things that should uh, maybe prick you in some of the places of pain and loss in, in your past. If, if, if you want to work on that a little bit, I, I wanted to present two Two resources to you. These are out in the, in the resource, the free resources. This is just a book on grief. And I would recommend as you go out right to the right, uh, if, you've, if you need that, make yourself available. This is on how to lament. Uh, I think this, counting this copy, I got three out there. I'll leave this on the, on the front if you need to avail yourself of those. We'll talk more about that later. So let's stand with us now. As we orient ourselves towards God's word, remember, when God's word speaks, God speaks. So James chapter 5 and verse 7, hear the words of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. It's God's word. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we come again this week, this first day of the week. We have gathered ourselves together and we have brought our joys and our successes and, Lord, our pains and our sufferings and our need. We brought all of that with us this morning. And we have come to the only place where there is hope. To the gathering of the redeemed where we open up your word and we sing and we declare your praises and declare you are all that we have. And you are all that we need. So, Lord, comfort your people, strengthen us. Establish our hearts so that we may do the work you have set before us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You could be seated. So if you got your notes at the top, you sort of see how we're finishing out the book of James. We've looked at this last section already in the past, in chapter 4, the end of chapter 4. We talked about the contrast of humble dependence versus arrogant independence. The Bible teaches, if you, if you know, and you know this, this put-on, put-off principle as part of the Christian life. But not only that, last week we talked about 
how financial hoarding leads to financial oppression. Remember, these are just the ordinary ways of life. James is very practical. How do you see these things? And today, we're going to look at verse at 3 and 4, on, on, if you look at your notes, patient endurance and honesty and integrity. The context of this is in the ordinary heart of life. It's fitting on this Independence Day weekend that I sort of start where I left off. You remember the, the end of the service last week, I talked about how our founding father pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, and then proceeded to give all of that for our freedom. That, brothers and sisters, is the very context of suffering so that we might be free. I sort of wasn't expecting it, but I went to Liberty Mountain that's going on right across the street. My wife has a part in that, and so we, we went over there, and here's what struck me, that it wasn't just the founding fathers that paid the cost, that this war for our revolution, for our freedom, was fought in the backyards of your house and my house. That's why every once in a while we dig up things because there was a couple of wars that happened that happened at home. We're dads and we just wanted to be dads and husbands just wanted to be husbands and wives who just wanted to keep their kids at home and their boys at home safe, sent them off, fight. This, to a degree, describes your life, my life. A life is seemingly sometimes just Intense battles against hostile people oftentimes fought in our own backyards, in our homes, in our churches, and in our country. Just like the Revolutionary War, the war wasn't won in a day, but fought over many battles on many fronts. And so it is with your life. And what James is concerned about, as we've said before, is that you have on the right pair of glasses by which you can navigate this heart of life. There is a reality that you will never hear. And if you're watching online and, and you find yourself feeding on TV preachers, they do not give you reality. They always say your breakthrough is coming around the corner. And all they're trying to do is, is get you to plant $5 and put it in their pocket so it's not in yours. They're thieves and liars and heretics. Because there is a reality here. Life is hard. This is a reality it's not only a reality that you know, it's a reality that the Bible is clear on. Life is seldom fair. And if we could all be honest, and honesty is important to the message today, we oftentimes feel like quitting. Life is this battlefield where we win some and we lose some, and sometimes it feels like we lose more than we win, and it wears us down. And James says you need a proper view of life because the heart is not necessarily going away. So because I try to be a good preacher, I got three points, and they all start with P. Faith's patience, faith's purpose, and faith's perseverance. Patience. The context is really last week's sermon. If you can look back to chapters 5, 1 to 6, I'm not going to read it. If you remember that believers are being defrauded, they're working hard, not getting paid for it. And you remember, these were mostly day laborers who worked hard. And they pay them at the end of the day. And the husband would go by the store, the market, and buy food. It's the only way his family ate. They wasn't being paid. 
Not only that, they had been scattered, you remember? This was mostly a Jewish audience. They were being persecuted for their faith. They were being culturally marginalized. They had no voice. They had no resources. They had no ability to defend themselves. Suffering, this is why James puts this as a core context. Suffering is a core of James. That's their suffering. What about yours? What does your suffering look like this morning? doesn't matter how old you are. Suffering starts early. You do what's right at school, life's going to be harder. You try to be responsible, it seems like it's harder to be responsible than to be irresponsible. Life oftentimes seems like it's requiring more out of me than I have to give. My anxiety, my depression, and my fear has me stuck in survival mode, like those old computers that go into safe mode. If you get a Mac, by the way, that's another thing. Many people this morning are angry at God because he didn't take away the hard. But listen, this is reality this morning. He never promised you he's going to take away the hard. He promised you to give you the resources to navigate the heart. And so turn with me as you hold your place in James to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is really a parallel to this, this section in James. I just wanted you to see it. <laughs> There's this common context in the Christian community of being poor and oppressed by those who are stronger and wicked. The psalmist experienced that. Look at Psalms 37. Look at verse 1 and 2. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. Fret. Don't worry. Don't become anxious over those who do evil. Don't become envious of them. Why would you be envious over wicked people? Because it seems their lifestyle is paying off. Same things James' audience is struggling with. Look down to verse 8 and 9. The same temptation of James' audience, the same thing that the psalmist is saying. Verse 8 of Psalm 37, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. So worry will lead to sin. For the evil, look at the hope. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall what? Inherit the land. Verse 23, look down at verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds him. This is is in the midst of what we're going through, the promise to be cared for. The promise that there is something future to look forward to. Verse 28, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but... The children of the wicked shall be cut off. You see those two things? That's promised throughout all of Scripture. Verse 34. Wait for the Lord and keep His way, and He will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Two things we see not only in the Psalms, but we see that back in James 5 as a promise for God's suffering people. The psalmist is saying here the same thing that James is saying. We've got to be patient. The Lord is coming. And when he does, the wicked will be judged and the righteous will be delivered. 
But that delivery is not always today. Patience. Patience knows. There's a limit. So look at the limit. Look at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. That word until tells you that's what you're looking forward to. We're patient until. We're patient in our suffering until the Lord comes. This word until is is a pregnant word. It, It points two directions. To a time period to look to and a goal to strive for. We are faithful in our patience, even though life is hard, until the Lord comes. This coming is a, is a beautiful word. It's parousia. The early church used that word to describe the imminent, the visible imminent return of Christ. They looked forward to that day. They believed it could happen any minute. We see this in the text. Turn with me to Thessalonians. You might want to mark Thessalonians. I tried to grab a a lot of passages out of there today, so everything is not completely in one place, but a little bit easier to find. Second Thessalonians, I just want you to see these two things that the psalmist brought out and the New Testament affirms. The first is that the wicked will be judged. We are told in Second Thessalonians of not only a common lawless one, but an increase of lawlessness. And in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says... To the church, and you know what is restraining him, this lawless one, now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one who will be revealed, listen, this is the point, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by what? The appearance of his coming. That's when it's coming. We sit around and argue sometimes about all the end time stuff when we ought to pay attention to what the scripture is clear about. There is coming a time when the wicked will be cut off. That is not necessarily right now. It is when he comes. And so we are called to patience. There is coming, just listen to this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 23 says this, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So there is a deliverance for those who belong to Christ, and there is judgment for those who do not. On that day, there will be nobody who will be able to accuse the Lord of injustice, because either your sin will be covered on the cross, and it is complete, it is gone, or it will be exposed and judged there. For Christians, this is like you're on the playground. And that bully, everybody's had a bully in their life. You got that bully. And you look up and your big brother's coming. And so you have a sense of strength and even confidence to poke your chest out because your big brother's coming and he's going to take care of things. That's what the Lord's saying. I'm going to come. Be patient until I do. Either he will come or listen. Here's the other truth. Or we go home. This is the way believers have always seen dying. It is to go home. Philippians 1. You can just, you know this passage. Paul's in prison. God's people are suffering. They have opposition. So he writes this joyful letter from prison. And, and Paul's feeling a tension inside of himself. Listen to this 
tension. He's saying to go home is better, to stay is ministry. The context of ministry is suffering. Listen to what he says, verse 20, Philippians 1. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, listen, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. Yet what I shall choose, I, I cannot tell. Okay, verse 23, this is tension, you see. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. We could say this, my desire is to go home and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Do you see that? He's saying, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to suffer. He's in prison. He knows a little something about suffering. He said, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be joyful. But, you know, I'd really just rather go home. You can look down at verse 27. He begins to talk to those who are suffering that he's writing to. He said, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or, or am absent, I may hear of your standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28, and not be frightened by anything of your opponents. Listen to what he says. This striving together, this opposition, this is a clear sign of, to them of their destruction, but it is also a clear sign of your salvation. Why is that? For you have been given two gifts. Look at verse 29. Two gifts in this life. To believe for the sake, granted to you for the sake of Christ that you not only should believe, but it has been also granted you for the sake of Christ that you should suffer. For his sake. Both these two things are gifts. Jesus said himself, in this life we will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the reality. Life is hard, and sometimes the hard you're going through, you don't know when it's going to end. So the call in your suffering is to be patient. This biblical patience you got to understand, the Bible gives us the definitions for these things, not the dictionary and not the world. It includes two things. Long-suffering and a steadfast hope. If you don't have both of these, you're not going to be biblically patient. You must be long-suffering and you must have a steadfast hope. You must have something that is greater than yourself that you are clinging to. Biblical patience is not survival. I want you to see two places. If you mark Thessalonians, you'll be able to find it quickly. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, notice the long-suffering. It says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. <laughs> if you're going to help somebody grow in Christ, if you're going to be a parent, if you're going to be married... You're going to be a friend, a good friend. It's going to be part of your life. Admonishing, encouraging, helping. And Lord, have mercy. You just got to be patient with people. You know, having a good dog or a cat's easy. But being patient with people, whoo, it takes long suffering. 
At the same time, listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Both of them pointing us toward patience. Listen to the determined attitude, this resolve. Verse 4. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Do you see that? He's saying, you have a determined resolve to keep the faith in the midst of what you're going through. It takes both to have biblical patience. This is the illustration. Look at the end of verse 7 of a farmer. This illustration is not talking about fruit. It's talking about the farmer. And Mike, you really helped me out. Mike didn't even know he did this. And uh, he, Mike has animals and and, and cattle, and so they need to eat. And so we, we left out of an elders meeting, I think it was Saturday week ago, and me and him had two completely different perspectives. He walked outside, he looked up, he said, maybe it'll rain. I looked up and said, oh, it's not going to rain. You know why? Because I got a to-do list to do when I get home. I didn't want it to rain. But here's what farmer looks up and knows. If it doesn't rain, I don't get hay. If I don't get hay, my animals don't eat when it gets cold. You see, that's the... He's waiting with hope. A farmer knows when he looks up to the heavens that there is only one person that can give him what he desperately needs. And that's God. That's why he uses it as an illustration. A farmer waits, but he waits in hope because the only one that can give him what he needs is God alone. That's biblical patience. We wait. We're long-suffering, but we're not long-suffering in our own strength. We're long-suffering in God's strength. And in doing that, look at verse 8. He establishes your heart. You also be patient. Establish, that means strengthen your heart. Why? Because the Lord's coming back. And listen. I don't care how old you are. Throughout all of history, the redeemed look forward to the return of Christ. And the more you run into real life, and the more you suffer, the greater that promise is. 2 Thessalonians 2, 17 says, Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us an eternal comfort and a good hope through grace comfort your heart and establish them in every good work and word. This strengthening is essential for endurance. And looking forward to the promises of God is how we gain strength. And if you don't know them, they won't strengthen you. What does he mean by heart? Heart, strengthen your heart. We say that all the time. Do we really know what it means? It's the core of who you are. It is what comes when our love, our worship, and listen, our anger, our striking out in revenge, our desire to quit, it all comes from the heart. If we're going to strengthen something, we begin there. This is James's message. What starts in the heart comes in the mind, comes out the mouth, and ends up in the hands. And if you're going to deal with it, if you're going to not see what keeps coming out of your hands and out of your mouth, you need to deal with the heart. Strengthen it. This is a call to patience. A call to resolve. To trust Him. But it, it comes with a warning label. 
because this is just true. This is how practical James is. There is a how in our patient suffering. A how. Look at what it says in verse 9. It says, do not grumble against one another, brothers. You know he's talking to the church now. He's not talking to somebody else. He says, brothers, don't grumble. Brothers and sisters, don't grumble against what? Against your situation? What? Who's you not supposed to grumble against? One another. This is, this is critical. You know this is true. Let's just listen to Peter. 1 Peter 4, 8 says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So if I'm tired, and Christina's tired, or if just one of us is tired, who's going to get snapped at? You? No, no, we're going to snap at each other. Or, or the poor kids. You know, one or the other. This is what he's saying. You're, it is hard. But here's what he's saying. Be careful, lest you turn on each other in the midst of your heart. Saying, God's standing at the door. He's listening. He's in control of what's going on in your life. And he's telling us how we should live in the midst of the heart. Two things. One thing you want to hear from the Lord. And one thing you never want to hear from the Lord. I've been in ministry enough to have this thought. The first one is easy. We know it. What we all long to hear one day is what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Proverbs tells us something that you never want to hear from God one day. Why did you stir up trouble in the body of Christ? Don't you know I hate that? So that's one thing you never want to hear. That's what he's saying. In the midst of the hard, in the midst of the pressures of life, don't turn on your family. Philippians 2, 14 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless, blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Listen, this is a witness issue. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. The context is our suffering. The how of our suffering is important because there are people watching you suffer. And they're suffering the same thing. What is the difference between the way you suffer and the way the unbeliever suffers? The answer is biblical hope. Faith suffering is real and it's critical to understand there's a purpose. There's a purpose. Faith's purpose. And so he gives us a couple examples. He's a good teacher. Look at verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. So faith's examples has two we get, we're given here. First the prophets and then Job. So think about a prophet for a minute. What did prophets do? They spoke. By what authority did they have to speak? The name, you see it? They spoke in the name, Yahweh. God said, Jeremiah, 
You go say to my people what I tell you to say. Say this. And what did he do? He went and said it. What happened when he said it? Sometimes in Jeremiah 38, King Zedekiah threw Jeremiah in a muddy dungeon, basically just a muddy pit for telling the truth. That's what happens. That's the context here of the suffering. They would speak in the, in, with the authority of God, the Word of God, as a result, and this is true whether you're a prophet, a preacher, or a parent, you're going to suffer for it. Matter of fact, when King Zedekiah actually summoned him up, did Jeremiah say, thank you so much for pulling me out of that pit? That place was a stinky mess. I'm hungry. No, no, here's what he said. Obey, he told the king, Obey the Lord by doing what I tell you, then it will go well with you and your life will be spared. He just went right back to the message. <laughs> Look at verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Does it sound like Jeremiah is being blessed to you? He's in a pit. I don't know what's in that pit. But if you don't like spiders and snakes and stinky things, it's probably not a very pleasant place to be. We know this, don't we? But sometimes we fail to remember it in the midst of our heart. That blessing and being happy is not the same. Listen, blessing is the objective, unchanging approval and reward of God. Blessing is is the objective, unchanging approval and reward of God. Blessing is the joy from coming when you do what God created you to do, when you do what God tells you to do, and whatever it costs you is good with you. That's the blessings of God. To know what He put you on this earth to do, and to do it with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, with all of your might, to the glory of God. That's a blessing. You see, think about the prophets. It is God's approval that is preeminent, not man's. Don't get that right. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be chasing man's approval your whole life. You're going to have the fear of man dis- determining every decision and every, every joy in your, in your life. His approval is what matters. What has God told us to say? That's why the prophet's suffering is important. But oh, we love Job, don't we? The Old Testament believers loved him too. He has always been the one that we go to as the greatest example of steadfast faith. But have you read the book of Job in its entirety? Did Job not complain? Did Job complain? You bet he did. Did Job quit on God? Nope. Did he abandon God because he didn't have a clue what God was doing? No. In the midst of his confusion, I don't really know what God's doing in my life right now. He clung to his only hope. He never quit talking to God. Listen to this quote. Job's is no, his suffering, is no groveling, passive, unquestioning submission. Job struggled and questioned and sometimes even defied, but the flame of faith was never extinguished in his heart. 
Now, this has burned on me all week. Pay attention to me here. This is the important part. This is the reason I reference these books. Job lamented to God honestly, but he never took his wife's advice and cursed God. In the end, Job was humbled. He was corrected. But he never stopped acknowledging that God was his only hope. In your life, without a psalm of lament, there will never be a psalm of praise. You need to think about what I just said. Because some of us have lost things over and over. We have lost so many things. They are stacked up in our lives like wood. And we have never dealt with them because someone told you along the way that time heals it. It does not heal it. The stages of grief are an unbiblical idea that does not lead us to peace. Lament leads us to peace. And if you don't lament... You will never be able to praise Him. And He longs for that in your life. The ability to be honest with God produces in your life a spirit-filled praise in the midst of your suffering. And it will confuse all of your body around you. And if you've ever seen anybody have peace in the midst of suffering, you know exactly what it looks like. Why is that so true? How does that work? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship, says, Suffering and rejection sums up the whole cross of Jesus. To die on the cross means to die despised and rejected of men. Suffering and rejection are laid upon Jesus as a defined necessity. And every attempt to prevent it is the work of the devil, especially when it comes from his own disciples. For it is, in fact, an attempt to prevent Christ from being Christ. It is suffering that saves you, saved you, brothers and sisters, and it is suffering that sanctifies you. This is God. Faith's example brings us to faith's purpose, you see. It has a purpose. End of verse 11 says, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. What was the purpose of the prophet? To deliver God's message, yes. But deeper still, listen, deeper still, it is to call God's people to the fullness of joy in the presence of God. That was the heart of the prophet. That is the heart of every one of us who prays every night for those people that we love to be saved and we realize we cannot save them and the only person that saves them can save them is God. God told Moses in Exodus 19 to go tell God's people this message. Exodus 19 verse 4 You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And to Moses, the Lord declared in Exodus 34, 
verse 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love of thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Listen, but who will know by clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children on the children, children to the third and fourth generation. Both are true of this God. His steadfast love and compassion is amazing. But our God is a just God. And I must not give up one for the other. So what did Job learn? You know what he lost, right? What did he learn? Can I read it to you? Job chapter 42. After all of the loss, after all of the bad advice, after all of the honest praying and pleading and speaking to God, here's what Job learned. I have heard of you by the hearing of you, but now my eye sees you. That was the purpose of suffering. Do you see it? So that Job might know him in a way that he would not have been able to know him if he had all of his stuff and all of his children and everything that he would have never lost. Job said, it was all purposeful because I know you now better than I knew you before. That's God's purpose in his suffering. And that's God's purpose in your suffering. Suffering is purposeful because it brings us to greater and greater degrees into the presence of God. It takes us from knowledge about God to knowledge to God. And that, brothers and sisters, it's intimacy. And it's intimacy that comes precisely through the heart. Faith must persevere. So look at verse 12. It's almost out of place. I love this about James. He he can just throw something in there if he wants to. Listen to verse 12. But above all, by the way, that above all is just the way, the Bible's way, James's way of bringing things to the close. It would be the way I was writing a paper saying, I said, finally, lastly, that's what he's saying. My brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath that you yes be yes, your no be no. This probably means a whole lot more than this, but it doesn't mean less. <laughs> we should persevere without giving in, without giving in. You see, the the truth is in the midst of the pressure of life, there's two realities, two pressures, to despair or to compromise. To despair or to compromise. When, When you can't even buy a food for your children, how do you not compromise? They're tempted. I either want to give up or I want to give in. And he's saying, don't do that. No matter what comes in your way, be honest in life. Be honest in business, even if it costs you. Matthew 12 points us as our motivation to the future again. It says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. And make no mistake, listen to what I'm saying this morning. Blending in is giving in. Blending in is giving in. To to stay silent when God says to speak is a lack of integrity. When God tells us to speak, we must speak. If it costs us our lives, our honor, or anything else, we speak when God says to speak. And when God says to be quiet... Don't you dare open your mouth. 
Because you know as well as me, every time I have spoken, when God told me to be quiet, I just expressed my own foolishness, or I was just plumb destructive in the lives of other people. Be careful. Don't give up. I don't know what anybody went through during COVID. I know what a few of us went through. But that was a pressure, wasn't it? Constantly. Still not completely gone. Think about it. How many people did you know that quit their jobs or quit their relationships during COVID? Change is good. But listen, here's just the tension. Just the correction that James wants to give you. Sometimes change is just you giving up. Here's what he's telling you. We as believers are bound to the truth that's revealed in Scripture no matter what it costs us in this life. Because we have something better ahead. So what? Do I trust God's purpose in my suffering? No one grows from quitting. The only way you grow is through persevering. I've probably, some of you know some of our testimony. We've told some of it. We lost a baby early on. Quite honestly, I don't understand God's purpose in that. It's been a long time ago. But I can remember digging a hole because our baby died so young. We had not, we couldn't bury her. All we had was these, our hopes and our dreams of the things that we had bought and, and filled that room with. We went outside, a place where we had a rock, and we dug a place, and we got down on our knees, and we put that stuff in there. And what we were doing was entrusting that little girl's life and all of our pain. Just put it out there. We were entrusting God with these things that we did not understand. You're not going to always understand the purpose. Trust God. He has proven himself over and over Here's the truth today. I'm going to come back to where I went to. Do I need a little mint so that I can praise? Some of us have only been given one little tool to try to help in five stages of grief. Those are not stages. They're not stages. They're not biblical. They will just leave you struggling in grief. Those things that they give you are what happens when we begin to struggle with no hope. And so can I give you something this morning? Just a little tool. Turn with me to Psalms 22. One of many lament psalms in the Bible. I'll give you three things as we close this morning. If you need to lament... If you've got loss in your life, it's got you stuck. Three things. Be honest with God. Be honest with God. Tell Him how you feel. Just be honest. He knows how you feel already. One, be honest. Second, be bold and just ask Him. Just ask Him. Be honest with Him and ask Him. 
And this Bible says, asking, keep on asking. But number three is critical because we have to be willing to entrust him with our life and resolve to worship him because he deserves our worship. And listen, here's the truth. Unless you truly entrust him, you will find worship doesn't come. But what comes to him? What came to us in time? with our losses, is when we actually entrust it, when we actually not just say, I trust you, God, but we actually slide it over to Him, you will find yourself worshiping God. Psalms 22, we know this. Pick this because this is what Christ, many people say Christ was praying this on the cross. Notice, be honest. Verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. What is the psalmist doing there? He is being honest with God. That's what he's doing. Just ask him. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild. Save me. Just ask him, but still praise him. And trust and resolve to praise him. Verse 24, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat up and be satisfied, but those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. The psalmist in the midst of his grief not only resolves God has saved me and he will save me, but he only begins to worship God, but he begins to invite the congregation to worship him as well. Three steps toward processing your biblical grief. Be honest. Ask Him. Entrust yourself to Him and worship Him. Bow with me. I want to close this way this morning. Something that a brother uh, took a class from Donald Whitney on spiritual disciplines and he, he taught me this. A way to Work through the Psalms. Open your Bibles while you're in the spirit of prayer. You can, leave, you can keep your eyes open when you pray. Yes, you can. Focus yourself on God's Word. Psalms 40. I want us to pray together. I want us to pray God's Word together. I want us to take Psalms 40, just these first five verses, and I want them to put them in my, in my own words as a prayer to God. Psalms 40, verse 1, in my own words, let's pray corporately together. We wait patiently for you, O Lord. Hear our prayer for help. You've rescued us over and over in our lives. You set our feet upon Jesus Christ. You have directed us in our lives. All of our days. You put a new song in our heart, Lord. A song of praise to you. Through our testimony, many will fear and trust in you.
We are blessed because we trust in Christ alone. We will not turn to the arrogant for help. We will not seek counsel from those who are lost. Lord, your works in our lives are too numerous for us to name. No one compares to you. But we will right now proclaim them and we will gather again and again because there is so much more we can proclaim. Receive our worship and strengthen your people as we stand to sing, as we come to the tables to remember. In Jesus' name, amen.